Hey everyone, I'm Jim Williams, hoping you're having a wonderful holiday season. And it's the holiday edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast with the Sunshine Boys themselves, Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson, and uh, joining us as a guest, uh, Tim Williams. Guys, um, we have one more week of regular season in the National Football League. And there's still a lot of unfinished business. Um, start with the Buccaneers. What do they have to do to get in? And what do you think will happen? Will they make it? You got a better chance of seeing Haley's Comet this weekend, Jimmy, than uh, than the Bucks getting in. They they gotta they gotta have seven things happen. And Joe, I think they need a tie between the Redskins and the Giants. Uh, now I know your Bengals. Uh, forced a tie with the Redskins, but that doesn't happen very often uh, in the NFL season. Uh, Joe, and the Bucks got to f- take care of business themselves. Uh, you know, it's been a disappointing finish, Jim, for the Bucks. Eight and five, in control of their own destiny. Finish 11 and five. Nobody can challenge them for a playoff spot, maybe even win a division title. And they didn't get it done. Uh, lost to Dallas, uh, lost to New Orleans. Just weren't good enough, Jim. It's a successful season here in Tampa. Cutter's not going anywhere. We don't have to worry about a coaching change, I don't think. Uh, but 9-7 and seven sounds better than 8-8, eight and eight, so uh, they're, they're limping to the finish line. Well, I, Ira, I think that's the, the great uh, thing that's been lost in all of this is, is the fact that they can actually have a winning season uh, if they win on Sunday. And let's not let's not downplay the importance of that uh, for this team. If if you had said going into this season that they're going to go into the final week uh, against Carolina, which we all assumed would be a, a another a playoff team again this year uh, with a chance to have a winning record and would have beaten the Seahawks, the chiefs and blah, blah, blah. You would say, you know what? I'll take that. And um, they've done it uh, with, Despite some obvious deficiencies, uh, particularly on offense, uh, Jameis, I think, would, uh, if, we, if we really uh, pressed him on it, would say that he was not as pleased with this year as he could have been. And then, of course, there's the, the Doug Martin situation, which is kind of the cherry on top of, of the disappointing finish. But if you look at it as a whole, uh, remember Bill Parcells, uh, the great line, you, you are what your record says you are. And if they win this week, they are a winning football team. And, and I think um, a lot of fans would be good with that. Certainly, I think that there's a lot to hang for the Bucks to be very happy about if they can finish 9-7. and seven. Even if they finish 8-8, eight and eight, there's a lot that you can look back on and say this is a successful season. Winston hasn't made the leap that he might have hoped that he was making, but he's also shown some very good progress in terms of it's hard to be an NFL quarterback, especially when you have the Bucks offensive line and not that many receivers to throw to. The most team-oriented thing in sports is the passing game in football. So I, I think Winston's progress might not be what you know we might have dreamed, but he's doing very well. And he's on his way, certainly. He's doing things, he's going about things the right way. The one thing I would worry about in the last few weeks has been, I I think the defense really no-showed against New Orleans. I think they did all right against Dallas, but I think they didn't close the game off very well. 
and that's something to be a little disappointed in. I know the defense is thin. They have their star players, and other than that, they do look for some help. But I, having done so well against New Orleans in week 14, to do so poorly against the same offense two weeks later says a lot, and I think that will be the disappointment that the Bucks look at as opposed to all the other good things that have happened in their season. Again, like, like you both said, it's a net win. You know, Jim, we didn't we didn't think running back was going to be uh, such a position to need, uh, Jim, going into 2017, and now it is. At the very least, Martin won't be there for three weeks. Uh, if Martin's on the roster at all, I don't know if they can rely on him at this point. Uh, he, he let his teammates down. Everybody's rallying to Doug Martin's defense. Uh, this is not a substance abuse problem. Uh, we got to take the NFL at its word that it, that it's a PED Um uh, so I don't think necessarily is an addictive aspect to this. Although uh, when you listen, uh, I just think, you know, Joe, uh, the NFL statement and, and Martin's statement kind of, they're at odds a little bit. Martin's talking about a, a treatment facility. There's reports that it's Adderall. Uh, Joe, it, it's still a little bit murky uh, after all the uh, supposed clarity yesterday. Well, it's it's a lot murky. And of course, Adderall brings back uh, memories and of uh, what happened with Josh Freeman, and we know we know how that ended. It did not end well, and um, you know, never would have figured Doug Martin for this, but uh, I guess you can't assume anything about anybody anymore. And uh, really, did let his team down. Um, I will say this: um, Dirk Cutter several bullets for him and that doesn't that shouldn't be lost in all of this now i don't know why they just didn't come out and say he's been notified he's going to be suspended and and that's and that's that um but uh, dirk cutter you can say that uh he should have been more forthcoming uh, because news like that's going to come out eventually as it did but i would imagine that played pretty well inside the locker room uh, inside the cocoon, if you will. And Absolutely. Um, so, you know, if there's, from the Buccaneer perspective, I would say that that was maybe the only positive in all this. But having said all that, you know, there's a reason that the NFL uh, forces teams to disclose injuries and, and all of these these other situations. And to basically openly deceive the public uh, kind of saps at his credibility a little bit, I think. And Tim, you know, Tim, it begs the question, uh, you know, going forward, uh, what do the Bucks do if, 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 in the unlikely prospect that Dalvin Cook is sitting there at number 20? Uh, suddenly, uh, we have a different uh, stance uh, about Dalvin Cook, perhaps. So, we'll see. We'll see what happens in the draft, but Dalvin Cook uh, looks like an intriguing prospect right now for Tampa. Yeah, Dalvin well, Cook certainly has a lot of talent, and he would be a very good rookie for anyone to pick up. He might have an impact on the NFL right away. But if you're listing the Bucks' biggest needs, even with this Doug Martin news, even if you think it's going to be really the end of Doug Martin's time in Tampa, which it might be, unfortunately, even if that's true, that's not the Bucks' biggest need. The, their biggest need is receiver depth. 
Now that Cameron Brait's out, we're going to see a team that has really one reliable passing target in Mike Evans next week. I don't think they want to come into next season with two guys that they can really rely on, and if one goes down, they're down to one. That, that was a problem for them early this year when Vincent Jackson went down and they had to go to a plan B they really didn't have. So I, I think that their first real position of need in the draft is going to be receiver. Much will depend, Jim, on what they do in free agency, right, Jim, in, in March. Oh, sure. The draft. Sure. I mean, there's a lot. There's, you know, I hate to say this, but, and you guys know this as well as I'm, the, the easiest place, the easiest position in the NFL, and I could be wrong, you guys can tell me if I am, to replace is a running back. There, there are running backs all over. You know, you know, if you have a, if you had have a need for a running back, and and all I Google the Pittsburgh Steelers when Lavi when Le'Veon Bell went down, you know, all of a sudden they came up with four guys who, you know, four guys named Mo who suddenly, you know, came out and, and did exactly what they needed them to do. It all really, it all boils down to how well and and Ira, you just hit on it, Joe, you've hit on it before. Uh, it all, it all, if you've got good talent evaluators you'll find these guys and you can get uh, five and see i mean albert morris alfred morris who who served right. the that's buccaneers right. very well was a seventh round draft choice out of fau so and you can find them just, uh, jim the redskins yeah. just came up with another running back this, yeah. this year mm-hmm. uh, gentlemen yes sir. Uh, allow me to interject <laughs> that's your job so go ahead there are job. it's my job there are running backs, and there are running backs. And the Dallas Cowboys showed how, what kind of quantum leap you can make this year if you have an elite running back. Now, I don't think Dalvin Cook will be there at 20, uh, so, or wherever the Bucks wind up picking. So that's, that's, uh, that's wishful thinking. But don't devalue running backs, because does anybody really think Dak Prescott would be where he is without the the um, contributions of Ezekiel Elliott? I mean, seriously. Now, yes, no. the Cowboys have a superior offensive line, but you have if you've got that threat sitting there, which by the way the Bucks had last year when Martin was running well, and you know uh, the um, uh, Jameis Winston was still feeling his way. You had that comfort back there that he, you know, that that you could always hand the ball off to a to a top flight running back. So, I, you know, I, I hear what what everybody's saying about a receiver. Uh, stipulated that is a need, but if it is determined that this thing with Doug Martin is a long term problem, um, I the Bucks will have to address that somewhere, whether it's in free agency or. Um, through the draft, in my opinion. See, I wonder if that's really true because they have three running backs right now. Now, I don't know if you can really rely on Charles Sims. He's been in the NFL for three years and he's been hurt in at least parts of all three of them. So he might not be a guy you can really rely on as your primary back, but certainly when he's healthy and he's in a game, he can make an impact. Peyton Barber in some very limited action has been able to get some yards and Jaquiz Rogers who was kind of written off in the NFL, came in and he's been the best running back the Bucks have had this year 
in terms yeah. of rushing yards. So it leads me to wonder how much do they need a running back? Can they really go with a, well, kind of a multi-headed attack like teams used to have, where you have one power guy and one really fast outside guy? Well, then you're using up three roster spots, first off. Second off, Jack Quiz Rogers, sure, he hit the ground uh, running, so to speak, and lasted three weeks and got beat up. Um, the other two guys, Sims, I mean, really? Come on, dude. Uh, those are not guys, those are complementary backs. And you don't win consistently, I don't believe, in the NFL with, with that type of um, running back by committee. I, I just don't think you get where you want to go uh, with that. And the Bucks do not have, in my opinion, uh, with if you take Martin out of the equation, they do not have that type of running back on their roster, and they need to get one. Well, um, we now know that the Buccaneers are going to have some uh, some issues on the on the offensive side of the ball, be it a runner, you know, running back or a wide receiver. Uh, what about the defensive guy, side of the ball, boys? Um, going into 2017, yeah. are they going to have to uh, to address some issues there? They were lousy against the run this year, Joe. They were uh, they were tremendous in 2015 against the run. Uh, I think it was 3.4 uh, yards against this year. It's it's 4.4. It's they they couldn't make the Saints one dimensional. Mark Ingram had a big day when you don't make Breeze one dimensional. Joe, you're asking for trouble. Uh, they shut him down in Tampa, but uh, New Orleans ran well. We saw what Ezekiel Elliott did. Uh, but the Cowboys do that to a lot of teams, Jim. So the Bucks uh, were not stout at, at the point of attack. Derek Brooks, of all people, and when Brooks talks, you listen, uh, was questioning the effort, uh, the hustle uh, of the Buck defense. Uh, so there's going to be replacements. Uh, Quan Alexander, now Joe, uh, will be quick to argue with me if, if he disagrees. There's no question about that. Quan Alexander, in a short period of time, Joe, I, I believe, has taken over that defense. I believe he is now the defensive leader. Uh, Gerald McCoy has been usurped by Jameis Winston and, and now Quan Alexander in successive seasons. Uh, I don't know how that sits with Gerald McCoy, but um, Alexander uh, sets the pulse for that defense, uh, which was very, very good during the five-game winning streak and then fell back to earth. So in the process... Guys, Mike Smith's star was ascending uh, during that streak in terms of getting back uh, to getting a head coach job, and, and now it, it's kind of settled down, and I, I'm not sure he's going to get a legitimate sniff. Uh, we'll see. Uh, the Buck defense was okay this year. Nothing special. Uh, just okay. I think you hit yeah, on I'm something. Not gonna, uh, I'm not going to argue against that, Ira. Uh, I think uh, Quan Alexander is – kind of the man on that defense right now. McCoy's been in this league a while now at a meat grinder position. I was thinking about that earlier today. And um you 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 know he's he's a guy who's battled injuries too. And uh you know he, nobody questions his effort or his preparation or anything like that. But I'm wonder, you know, as you look at that team, they were at their best when they were healthy this year along the defensive line, when they were getting a, a decent pass rush. And 
allowing the Quan Alexanders uh, to make plays uh, as, in the linebacker position. Um, you know, I know we've we've talked about the offense, and uh, but they really the the successful teams in this league load up on the on the offensive and defensive lines, and maybe you address that in free agency, or maybe you you have to look that way in the draft. But as injuries chipped away at the defensive front, I thought that's where we begin to see the breakdown uh, on defense this year. Certainly, and I would like to make this quick point as to what Ira said about Mike Smith's star rising and then falling a little bit. In his last three Decembers as the Atlanta Falcons head coach, Mike Smith's record is four and eight across those three Decembers. And then you have the Bucs in the second half against Dallas. And again, Dallas is one of the best teams in football. They played their game. It's hard to say that they really didn't do so well because Dallas has done this to everybody. But then they did the same thing against New Orleans. And I wonder if that does really impact, you know, a few weeks ago we were talking about Jacksonville. He would be the front runner for the Jacksonville job. Now Tom Coughlin's talking to Jacksonville and it's, and we're starting to wonder if maybe they'll even call. So I think he might be back in Tampa for another year. And certainly with, Overall, you're looking at improved defense. You know, overall, it's it's done a good job. He's he's taken them a step forward from what Leslie Frazier and Lovey Smith had last year. Agreed. Agreed. All right, boys. Well, we know where the Bucks are. Let's talk about the rest of this NFL situation. Now, I I know here in the greater Washington D.C. area that if the Redskins do not make the playoffs. They will look back and rue the day that they had to play Carolina at home and basically couldn't find you know, the ga- a game plan to stop Cam Newton and basically gave that game away. Um, you know, it, it's been crazy in that regard. So we'll see. Um, they still have a, a, a reasonable chance of making it, but it's going to be uh, – uh, you know, I don't know why, but for some reason, the Redskins have played the Giants well over the past, you know, three seasons. And so we'll see. It all goes down to uh, Sunday afternoon. But uh, the Redskins-Giants game is the game that will decide whether or not they make it into the playoffs or not. You know, Joe and I have been talking about that tie against the Bengals uh, right. ever since it happened. And we didn't know if it would help or hurt the Redskins. Here we are at the moment of truth, Joe. Uh, You know, if if Detroit beats Green Bay and gets to that number 10 mark and wins, and the Giants are already there, uh, the Redskins are going to be on the side of the road, even even if they're uh, 9-6-1. If the Packers uh, beat beat the the, the Lions uh, and the Redskins win, uh, 9-6-1 looks golden, Joe. So uh, we, you know, it's still to be determined if, if that tie is going to kill the Redskins uh, or, or help them to a certain extent. Uh, that's the only intrigue left uh, in the NFC. Um, and Joe, I think we both think that the Packers are going to go into Detroit and, and win that game. Yeah, I, I think uh, that that's accurate. And you know, Detroit's 
been been a handful for people this year and they um they will they will show up but the packers are on a roll right now and um i'll tell you what though as you look at the redskins uh, you alluded to the monday night game against carolina that was that was disgraceful (laughs) just no other way to put it and um so that's the fun thing about this time of year as you look at every team not named New England uh, or maybe Dallas, you see flaws that have to be overcome. And, you know, that that makes it difficult to, to really forecast all this. Would I, would I be shocked if the Lions won this week? Not at all. <laughs> not at all. Uh, it's been that kind of year. And, you know, uh, let's not uh, devalue what's happened with uh, with injuries, too. Uh, Tennessee basically lost their season when Marcus Mariota went out. Now, they were losing the game anyway, but, but you know, you still like to have your, your big gun in there. And now, of course, what's happened with the Raiders and, and Derek Carr is just, is just sad from their point of view because, I mean, that was a team that had a legitimate chance uh, to go toe-to-toe with New England. And now, you know, who knows? Okay, one quick um who makes the playoffs, guys, in the um in the NFC? We'll start with you, Ira. Who do you think? Uh I think uh Green Bay beats Detroit and the Redskins beat a Giants team that has zero motivation and uh, does not play their starters very much, if at all. And uh I, I believe your Redskins uh, might might sneak in at uh Nine, six, and one, James. The okay. Six spot. Yep. Joseph, what do you think? You know what? I can't. Uh, I can't really argue with Ira's uh, assessment there. I think, um, even though, like I like I said before, it wouldn't shock me if Detroit won. Um, just not quite feeling it for them right now, and uh, so uh, it's right there for for Washington. They've got to take care of business. Um, what if they both lose, Ira? Then what? <laughs> uh, then I guess um, I guess Detroit would uh, would get in because the Redskins um, would only have eight wins. Right, They'd only have eight wins. The Redskins, yeah, that's what I think. Um, so you know, uh, Tim, Tim, the team that nobody's talking about in the NFC is Atlanta. Um, now. I get to vote for the uh, MVP award and the All-Pro team next week. And uh, unlike some of my baseball brethren, Mr. Henderson, I I wait till the season is over before I fill my ballot out. Absolutely. Tim, I'm leaning towards Matt Ryan, and I don't see why Matt Ryan's not getting more love, nationally speaking. Uh, I think he's been great since week one. Um, He's been about as good as Brady. And Brady's missed four games, so I'm not voting for Brady. Uh, I'll vote for Brady if nobody else is having an MVP season. I don't believe that's the case. You could make the you know the case for Derek Carr or Ezekiel Elliott or whatever. Uh, but I'm not voting uh, for a guy who played 12 games when I got Matt Ryan, Tim, uh, who's been fabulous for, for, for 16. It's the number one scoring offense in the league. And somebody excuse me if I'm wrong, but other than Julio Jones, uh, I don't see where they're blessed with uh, all pro talent uh, on the offensive side of the ball. So, 
The Falcons score a lot of points, guys, and there's a chance they could get the number two seed. Um, I don't want to play the Falcons uh, in the Georgia Dome. Uh, if I do, uh, I, I go in thinking I, I got to score 35 points to, to stay in that game. Yeah, I think if you have to give the MVP to one player, I, I'm personally of the school of thought that if you could split it among multiple players, the Dallas Cowboys offensive line is more valuable than any other thing in the National Football League right now. I think that, that's a good one. That's you know, a good one. But you can't do that. You have to give it to one guy. And if you have to give it to one guy, it's Matt Ryan because you can't really value which of all those Dallas offensive players is the guy that holds the most weight. They've all really contributed a whole lot. So to give it to one over all the others is kind of difficult to do. But Matt Ryan really has been the guy in Atlanta. And if it weren't for him, I don't think they'd have a winning record, much less be 10 and five and looking at a possible bye week in the, in the NFC playoffs. So and, I think and Joe, that's why repeat. Kyle Shanahan, Joe, that's why Kyle Shanahan is going to be a head coach in 2017 somewhere. Uh, he's done a remarkable job, Joe, of resurrecting uh, Matt Ryan. People were down on Matt Ryan after 2015. They thought he was regressing. Joe, instead, he comes up with a career year this season. Yeah, and, and if I'm Jacksonville, with all possible respect to Tom Coughlin, who uh, is a Hall of Fame football coach, in my opinion, um, you need somebody who's going to go in there uh, and rescue Blake Bortles. And they need to be looking in that direction, I think, rather than than uh, than Coughlin. Um, Personally, I would like to see uh, if Marvin Lewis steps aside, I'd like to see my Bengals uh, go after Shanahan um, because, um, you know, as, as I've alluded before, there it may be time for a new voice. Um, uh, Marvin's had a great run, but there's, uh, there's some controversy up in Cincinnati this week. Apparently there was a, one of the talking heads uh, said that he had it on good authority that Marvin was going to walk away after this year. Other people are saying, no, they have it on good authority that he's coming back. So one thing I think I could say for certain is that if Marvin Lewis does walk away, it will be on his own. I don't think Mike Brown will push him. So Mike Brown doesn't get a vote in this deal. He gets a vote, (laughs) but I think Mike Brown's vote would be, you know, Marvin, if you want to coach, here's your whistle. Come on back. Uh, and it's, I really think it's just knowing that organization and, and how they operate, they're not going to freak out because they've had a bad year. They lost their record. How about, how about this one, Ira? You always laud me for my research. They've lost three games this year because of kickers two because, uh, well, the, the tie with the Redskins came because Mike Nugent couldn't kick an extra point. They lost another game because of Nugent's kicking. And then they had Houston beat with a, a very makeable field goal uh, on Christmas Eve night and, uh, and, and missed that at the gun. Otherwise they're looking at, at a winning record at this point and everybody's not quite freaking out quite so much up there, but uh, you know, that's, um, that's going to be a situation that we need to watch on Monday morning. Does, does Marvin Lewis uh, ride off into the sunset? And personally, I don't think he will, but if he does, then 
go after Kyle Shanahan immediately. Speed and, dial. And, and Jim, yep. the other uh, you know the other intriguing spot in the AFC is is the Raiders. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, they're the number two seed uh, behind Tim's uh, Patriots, who who look unbeatable, by the way. Uh, what else is new? Um, but a a uh, a Raiders loss. I believe they're playing Denver, but without Derek Carr, mm-hmm. uh, and a Chiefs victory uh, in San Diego, where there's going to be about twelve thousand fans, um, and and, and Philip Rivers is, is limping to the finish line. Terrible finish for the Chargers. You got to think KC's going to take care of business, especially if they see uh, the Raiders losing. Um, the Raiders could drop to number five. Uh, Jim, and, and there'll be an early exit at number five without Derek Carr going on the road. So, you know, can anybody challenge New England? I mean, it, it's so easy to hate on the Patriots, but Tim, what we're witnessing in New England since '01, it, it's uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of uh, the Niners starting in '81. They had that incredible 15-year run. Here we are with Belichick and Brady, another unbelievable 15-year run. What's scary, Tim, is that it shows no signs uh, of abatement. Um, I don't think any of us, Tim, would be uh, amiss to think that uh, this union could go on another five years. Very, very scary stuff in Foxborough. Yeah, it's it's amazing what the Patriots have done. You you really can't stress it enough that you can compare it to Bill Walsh through George Seifert and Joe Montana through Steve Young. And that's certainly a very good comparison. They they have the titles. They have the history. That's the only real team you can compare these Patriots to historically. But even they did it with two different head coaches and two different starting quarterbacks, right. whereas the Patriots have had one this whole time. For a starting quarterback in any NFL situation to be to keep his job for 15 years – is remarkable in and of itself before you get into all the things that Brady has done in New England. I'll say this just touching on Joe's point about Marvin Lewis as well as New England. Bill Belichick just this week was talking about coaching stability and how he thinks that firing coaches too soon is a really bad idea. And I I really think that that's the right way to go. You look at teams like New England, who's had their coach for 15 years. Obviously, Bill Belichick has done nothing to make them want to do anything else. He he could be their coach forever at this point. If if you have a coach who's winning, there's really no need to change it up unless unless something happens where that coach absolutely has to go. There are such things in the NFL as fireable offenses. So when you look at, say, Cincinnati with Marvin Lewis – if Lewis needs to step away, well, then he needs to step away. That, But I I do like the idea that Mike Brown wouldn't do that, that the Bengals wouldn't do that, that they would take the example of their division rival, the Pittsburgh Steelers, who have had three coaches since 1969 and happen to lead the league in Super Bowl titles. So I think coaching stability is a big part of it and organizational stability. You can't get a more stable organization than the Patriots right now, and that's really – more than even Brady and Belichick, that's how they got where they are. They are the smart team. They're the team that always seems to have the end goal in mind. They don't just throw stuff at the wall to see what sticks like almost every other team does. You made, you made a great point there. Uh, look at that whole division, uh, the AF, AFC North. Baltimore, John Harbaugh has been there since 2008. Marvin Lewis since 2003. 
and uh, our good friend Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh at 2007 uh, is when he took over. That is uh, really for a division, that's unparalleled stability. And who are the three teams that fight it out for the division title every year while the Cleveland Browns keep throwing stuff against the wall and hoping it sticks? So, you know, only one team can win it all every year, and that doesn't mean the other, uh, all the rest of the coaches in the league get fired, you know? Um, you got to have a game plan, a long-term plan in the NFL. And I hope, Ira, your Tampa Bay Buccaneers are, are going to do that with Dirk Cutter and Jason Light because we've seen uh, the, the effect of upheaval uh, on that franchise for sure. Absolutely. And, Jim, speaking of Tomlin, mm-hmm. uh, if, if the Steelers needed any motivation, which they probably don't, uh, because, you know, with that fan base, uh, expectations are always going to be high. Um, what the heck was Terry Bradshaw talking about, Jim? Um, does he have a personal problem with Mike Tomlin suggesting he's a cheerleader? Joe, the guy won the Super Bowl in his second season uh, in, in Pittsburgh. Uh, I don't believe he's ever had a losing season, Tim. Uh, we know him well in, in Tampa. Uh, he's a tough guy who embraces uh, the Steeler tradition. Jim, I don't think he's done a thing wrong since he uh, got in Pittsburgh, replaced uh, a legend in, in Cowher. Um, and I, I think Tomlin says all the right things, and his team uh, reflects uh, his personality. They're, they're, they're tough, and they're physical. Um, I don't know what Bradshaw was, was, was thinking about, Jim. I, I really don't. I don't know. Terry, there's sometimes things Terry says that you just wonder what, you know, what the hell is he doing? Uh, I, no, you can't. You can't argue about Tom, Mike Tomlin. Tomlin is as good a coach as there is in the National Football League, and uh, all you have to do is ask John Harbaugh about that. Um, he will. He will tell you that he was one of the first people that John Harbaugh says is as good a coach in football, and he proved it on Christmas Day when they got that uh, immaculate nose of the football across the the goal line to to win and get the division. Um, Real quick, guys, let's pivot over and do some uh, looking at a college football. There's a lot to be done this week. And, um, you know, as people get ready to head to Tampa for the national playoff championship, this is the big weekend where we get to see the, the bowls that are played. We get the Peach Bowl with Alabama and Washington, followed by the Fiesta with Clemson and The Ohio State University. And, uh, you know, the winner of that game will be in Tampa to uh, to play uh, in the uh, in the national championship game. So. What do you think, guys? Alabama, Washington is the first one. Well, Alabama. OK. <laughs> I mean, Way to go out on a limb, Hindu. You know, I mean, I'm, uh, well, uh, you, I'm going to make a bold and brash statement. I think Alabama will win. Okay, thank you. That's the, the problem. I think the Bill Belichick, the Bill Belichick of college football. Yes. Yeah. I think uh, everyone who follows college football would love to make a case for Washington. They would love for this game to be close. But the fact that I can say that. And I still can't think of a good reason that Washington can win this game besides maybe Lane Kiffin takes after his father. And once he 
moves on to the next job, he checks out of his current one. That's about the only way I could imagine Alabama losing this game. And that's not to say Washington's not had a great season. They've, they were in the woods for a while. Now they're back to national prominence. So they've had a great season, but as much as I would love to make a case that they can beat Alabama short of Lane Kiffin checking out. And even then I'm not sure they can beat them. I, I just can't make a case. And that's, that's unfortunate because we want this to be a great game and Washington's earned the right to be there. But Alabama just seems so overpowering. You know, uh, Washington's uh, everybody likes to downplay Washington's schedule. Joe, it's not that bad. They they're four and one in the against the top twenty-five. Um, and if Alabama wins, check me if I'm wrong, guys. But um, you know, going back to Jameis Winston, uh, freshman season, um, I think this will be the second time in in four years that. Uh, that a team would would a freshman uh, a quarterback could could win the national title. You, you don't mm-hmm. see that very often. Uh, but Bama beats you in so many ways, Tim. Right? I mean, uh, they got ten defensive touchdowns. Their special teams are always good. Um, you can shut down Alabama in in one area or two, and 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 they still find a, a way to beat you. Uh, Twenty five in a row, Joe speaks for itself. Um, they're big favorites. Uh, you know, Washington's good. They're not great. Uh, it's going to take a great effort, uh, I think, to even stay close uh, in this game. I, well, I think the Washington Redskins would have trouble against Alabama. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on now. I'm just but, saying. Uh, uh, so. uh, but the other factor on this that, that really nobody's talking about too much is it is going to be, a, in essence, a home game for Alabama. You know, and yeah. The, the the place will be will be packed with with crimson fans. Now, give the man his due, uh, and I'm talking about uh, Chris Peterson here, the Washington coach. He he is he's made a thing out of of winning when people don't think he is supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, as we remember uh, with what he did against Oklahoma and all right. the all the bizarre stuff there, but. You're not going to beat Alabama that way. You're just not. And um, you, you mentioned the Lane Kiffin factor. If Lane Kiffin is less than 189% focused on this game, uh, there may be violence on the sideline. Um, and it would be Saban's boot in Kiffin's rear end, kicking him all the way to uh, Florida Atlantic. Um, Saban doesn't put up with that, and 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 Lane Kiffin, I'm sure he knows it, and if he doesn't know it, he'll learn it soon enough. So Alabama's going to be ready, and this defense that Alabama puts out there, we all talk about the, the freshman quarterback and so on, but this defense that they have is just, just uh, overwhelming. And, you know, Washington will, will make a good account of itself. But I keep going back to their biggest game of the year uh, was when they had USC uh, at their place. And really, uh, people were were starting to go, okay, we're going to take you seriously. And they were soundly defeated that game. And do we all remember what Alabama did to Southern Cal uh, to open the season? Now, guys, we do have to acknowledge, guys, that in the last few years, not everything uh, goes according to plan in college football uh, in terms of the big games. And 
show. I, I don't know a lot of people picked Ohio State to beat uh, Alabama uh, a few years back. Um, upsets do abound, guys. Uh, now, this would be a big one. Um, so we'll see, but it, 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 it doesn't always go according to Hoyle, uh, Jim. No, there's no question. Clemson, Ohio State, um, I think that one will be a close game. Oh, I think that one's going to be, uh, you know, 59 to 58. I think that's going to be, uh, you know, that's going to be video football there. Um, Whoever has the ball last wins. Is that the yeah. deal? That's, that's going to I, at least that's my read on it. And, uh, you know, Clemson scores a lot of points and gives up a lot of points. Um, and Ohio state is, is certainly capable of putting up big numbers too. So, Ira, in that game, it's going to come down to your buddy Greg Schiano, the defensive coordinator. <laughs> you beat me too, and I was waiting, and you just, you just took it away from me. So sorry about that. With the but, football, uh, you know them, but uh, he's going to have to dial up something uh, because uh, you know Clemson pushed Alabama to the limit last year, as we remember in that national championship game. And Absolutely. Th- uh, they they just score and score and score. Uh, the Tigers are going to score their points, but, you know, Tim, I, I think you'd agree, they're, they're a little bit sloppy, uh, Clemson. They, they turn the ball over, and, uh, you know, one of the fortes of, of the Buckeyes is, is, is capitalizing uh, on mistakes. Uh, you know, they're plus 16, Ohio State, in the turnover ratio. They got seven defensive touchdowns. So, Tim, well, I'm not saying that Clemson's going to score, you know, 16 points in this game. I am saying they're going to make a few mistakes. Watson's going to turn it over a few times because they don't run the ball very well. And you can't run on Ohio State anyway. So they're going to be one-dimensional. The guy's going to throw 45 passes, Tim, and a few of them, are going to end up in in the Buckeye hands, and I think that's going to be the difference. Yeah, I, I certainly would agree that Clemson plays what you might call reckless football. They have no problem. They're not afraid to throw a pass that really is a bad idea on the surface because there's that one in ten chance that the receiver goes up and somehow gets it. And that's fun to watch. It's certainly of these four teams in the college football playoff, Alabama's the – lead favorite of course but clemson's probably the most fun to watch the most entertaining and it's because of that unpredictability that deshaun watson could put up one of the best plays of the season or he could hand the ball away to ohio state at the drop of a hat and that's that's going to be interesting and it's going to play into this game and it's going to be a great contrast against an ohio state team that doesn't take a lot of risks that would rather let you make the mistake that costs yourself the game and they'll just capitalize off of that. It's certainly urban Meyer teams have a habit of doing that. And, you know, having brought up Greg Schiano, that makes me want to pick Clemson. I I'm, I'm not, (laughs) it really makes me want to pick Clemson. I, they're also the higher ranked team for what that's worth. And that's worth next to nothing. Now that it's the college football playoff it's almost impossible to pick. So given the coin flip, I'll use the Bucks fan bias in me and pick Clemson because I don't want to see Greg Schiano smile. <laughs> well, here, here's, here's something, uh, 
Yeah, you alluded to to how Clemson kind of plays fast and loose uh, with the football. Uh, Watson has 15 interceptions this year, and they that that's you you know if he turns the ball over, let's say he has uh, three picks against Ohio State, then let's start getting ready for the Alabama Ohio State final, the the Saban against Urban Meyer, because you're not. In a game that figures to be that close, you are not going to be able to make those kinds of mistakes and and get away with it. But now there's another there is another factor. There is another factor. Clemson has a very good pass rush, and J.T. Barrett has become um, kind of a target uh, here in the in in the latter part of the season. Ira, here's a stat for you. Are you ready? Let's hear it. Let's hear it. All right. In the first five games, or in the first six games of the year with for Ohio State, JT Barrett was sacked just five, or Ohio State allowed just five sacks, right? In the last six <laughs> games, Barrett was sacked 20 times. You know, Jim, how, how am I supposed to respond when, when a man's digging that deep for uh, for nuggets? It, it, it's outstanding. Uh, it's, it's, I'll answer it, with this, Jim. I got a yes, simple sir. answer. Uh, I don't think any of us really want to pick against Urban Meyer in, in a big game when he's had time to prepare. Uh, there's an Urban Meyer factor to this matchup, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. he, he's ten and two in bowl games. I think he's 21 and one, coming off a bye week, um, or, or or a bowl game scenario. Um, he knows how to win these games, Jim, and, and yep. that's nothing to be sneezed at. No, and, it, and that does, and doesn't that doesn't slight Dabo Sweeney either, who's a heck of a coach as well at Clemson. Although, although one of Urban Meyer's bowl losses, correct me if I'm wrong, was to Clemson. Yes. And one was to Michigan, I believe, uh, yeah. in, in the outback. Yeah. So, all right, guys, real quick, um, let's go uh, talk about the two state teams that play on uh, you know, during the New Year's weekend. FSU, Jimbo Fisher has had trouble getting his team up for the game. Do they win in the Orange Bowl, and does McIlwain win in Tampa at the Outback Bowl? Um, no and no. Okay. Um, the FSU to me this year uh, is the classic definition of a of a team that we probably overhyped and they never quite they're they're a good football team no question about it but they didn't quite deliver and um, Michigan is, is a load uh, and, uh, so no, I don't like, um, I don't, I don't like Florida state in that game. And I really, at this point, um, don't like the Gators, uh, just the whole offense is, is a train wreck. And, um, so to answer your question, no. Oh, yeah. I have, trouble, I've, I've yeah. have trouble arguing Jim with, with, with my yeah. team colleague, uh, my feeling is if FSU is not playing for a national title, Tim, they, they, they're not very motivated. That, that's just my sense of this team. 
Um, you know, I don't think there's this big rally cry, let's finish on a strong note. They're disappointed. They didn't get the job done. Uh, and at the same time, I, I think Michigan's still hacked off, and they want to prove that uh, maybe they're the best team in the country. And you know what? Maybe they are. So um, I kind of like Michigan, too. And as, as far as Florida's concerned, that, that's a half a team. They better go out and find a quarterback. We've been saying that for years. I, I just can't believe that uh, a team that plays out of Gainesville can't find a quarterback uh, in the state of Florida even. Um, they're going down, too. So I, I'm, I'm with Henderson. 0 for 2 on the Sunshine State, James. Yeah, I, I don't think I can argue, certainly, with Michigan and Florida State. I, I can't imagine Florida State's going to treat this as their biggest game of the season. I think Michigan will treat this as the biggest game they're going to play for until the next time they play Ohio State in 2017. So I, I think Michigan – also, they have – one of the best coaches in college football. So does Florida State. Jimbo Fisher has done nothing but great things for Florida State. But I think Jim Harbaugh has that Michigan team on the ascendancy, and it's hard for me to see a Jim Harbaugh team show up for a bowl game and not put everything into it. As for Florida, I've watched the team all year, I've written about them all year, and I still, every time I see the bowl schedule and I see that number 17 next to the word Florida, it just makes me think how top heavy must college football be this year that Florida is ranked 17 in the nation. They're not the 17th best team in the nation. And if they are, then this has been a down year for college football. They don't have an offense. They have a very good defense. It might be the last game for Quincy Wilson and Jalen Tabor, who are both juniors and who could both declare for the NFL draft very easily. Florida needs to hope they don't because that would give them a great strength moving forward to have one or two of those guys come back as seniors. But to see them as the number 17 team in the country is kind of shocking to me. And I think if you think Florida State's checked out, Florida lost two of their three rivalry games this year. They got waxed in the SEC championship. I think their season's been over for a while, and I don't think they're going to play like this game matters a whole lot to them. And it'll be interesting to see what fans show up. They've got a lot of fans in Florida. They've got a ton of fans in Tampa. But will they have an energy for a game that nobody wanted them to play in? And, you know, yeah, I don't, uh, Tim's, I don't, and Tim, Joe, Joe, Tim's been saying all year that uh, the Gators have a, a sterling uh, secondary, and I think he's right. Uh, but, Joe, I'm not sure that that's going to be such a big factor in, in this bowl game. I don't think it matches up with the opponent's strength uh, in, in that regard either. Well, you, you, you're playing against an Iowa team that that uh, beat Michigan and, you know, is, is a very good football team. And, uh, you know, you said it. Uh, Florida is half a football team right now. And the uh, – you cannot, you you just can't win that way consistently. So, I think Florida, uh, the the biggest thing for them right now is that they got a few more weeks of practice to prepare for the bowl. Um, obviously, Jim McElwain can walk into the living room of any top uh, quarterback recruit in the country and say, "Yeah, son, come to Florida. You can play, you know, right away." Because <laughs> You know, there's not a lot of, of of juice there. And and finally, 
you know, being here in Tampa and, you know, we've, we've come to expect that the Outback Bowl puts on a great show every year. It's, it, to me, it's, it's right up there in the, in those, in, uh, among those secondary bowl level, the non, you know, the non-traditional ones, if you will, the non-playoff ones, they do a great job and it's always a great show, but Florida's been here before. It's not a glamour trip for them. And probably this is one of those that if uh, most Gator fans, if somebody can give them free tickets, they might go. But otherwise, I don't see – I'm not sensing a great amount of uh, excitement over this game for them. All right, guys, real quick. Um, final thoughts and your social media. Final thoughts on what you're going to be watching this weekend. Mr. Ira Kaufman. All right, Jim, you can find me on uh, Twitter at iKaufman76. We will all spend our New Year's Eve watching college football. That may not go over uh, too well with everyone in the household. Sunday, I will be at Ray J uh, for the uh, Buck finale. Uh, Some people say uh, that it doesn't matter if you're 8 and 8 or 9 and 7, you're not going to the postseason. On paper, that that has. uh, the smell of truth to it. But in reality, uh, as Joe pointed out, uh, they haven't had a winning season since 2010. Uh, The playoff drought will continue, gentlemen. Uh, The best news of all, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I don't think there's going to be a coaching change. Now, I said that a year ago with Lovey Smith, guys. But uh, even, even the Glazers wouldn't fire a coach after one season when he doesn't even have a losing record. So I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling comfortable that there's no coaching search going on in January. Joseph. Well, you can find me on Twitter at uh, the initial J Henderson Tampa T A M P A and yeah, I'll be watching the playoffs this weekend, but I'm going to watch a football game. We're we're recording this on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And or Wednesday, excuse me. No, what is today? Thursday. 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 Yeah. Losing track of time. And um, at uh, a couple hours from now, University of South Florida will be teeing it up against South Carolina uh, from the SEC. And USF will be playing with an interim coach. uh, But the incoming new coach, Charlie Strong, will be watching from the the, uh, athletic director's box. And uh, USF is looking at this as a chance to really make a statement for the start of next year. They're, they're, it's, it's actually the first game of 2017 for them because if they win the game and, and they are a double-digit favorite over an SEC team, Ira, when's the last time that happened? Um, they, will, uh, they will be ranked going into next season and uh, they you know, will be right there uh, – you know, have it all right in front of them that, to accomplish um, great things. So I'm going to be curious to see how they do um, without Willie Taggart calling the plays on the sideline. But that's a, as explosive an offense as there is in college football. So go and get some popcorn and a soda pop and enjoy watching a, a what should be a pretty good football game today. Tim, you're up. Well, I certainly will be watching the college football playoff. I'm, I personally am a college hockey guy myself, and that gets back into action this weekend, so I'll be watching some of that as well. 
but you know, in terms of the NFL, there's one game I'm going to watch that's not really that important. You know, unless Oakland loses, Kansas City's not playing for much of anything at this point. Their playoff spot's been secured. But I feel like it's important to watch a little bit of that Kansas City at San Diego game. Because as much as we all love the NFL, and I'm sure most people listening to this love the NFL, and I know all of us love watching it, there is a bit of discomfort when it comes to things like what's happening to the San Diego Chargers right now. There is a strong possibility that San Diego is about to play their last game in the city of San Diego. The Chargers may move to L.A. right after that game, essentially. And I don't really think that that was the most pleasant of situations. I don't think it reflects well on the NFL. And I think as you look at the NFL's bottom line increasing every year, the amount of demand they're putting on the fans that have made it an $11 billion and counting industry is borderline absurd. So I think that as much as we all love football and we all love the NFL, you have to watch a little bit of that Kansas City at San Diego game because it may be the last time Kansas City's in, or San Diego, I'm sorry, is in the NFL. And as you know, anyone who likes the Bucks, where did they win their Super Bowl? They won it in Qualcomm Stadium in San Diego. So this might be the last hurrah for that stadium that hosted Super Bowl 37 as well. And I think that's a little bit sad. And you can follow me on Twitter at, at Tim Writes Sports. Okay. And uh, uh, all we need to know is that Stan Kroenke will have a booth out in the parking lot at Qualcomm Stadium taking season <laughs> tickets for next year in Los Angeles. So. Because uh, that's the only winning team that would be in Los Angeles next year. Anyway, all right, guys. Well, I know I'll be watching the same as you. I'll be watching the the playoffs and uh, also catching uh, Washington versus the uh, New York Football Giants on uh, on Sunday to see uh, if uh, the other Gruden, uh, a graduate of Chamberlain High School in Tampa, Florida, can uh, bring home, uh, uh, you know, a playoff berth for the for the Washington Redskins. So should be a lot of fun. We hope that everybody's enjoyed uh, today's conversation with the Sunshine Boys. They, of course, would be Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson, our guest, Tim Williams. I'm Jim Williams, your host of the Sunshine Boys podcast. Until 2017, we hope that you have a safe and wonderful new year. We'll see you then. We'll talk about all the fun things that happened over the weekend. We'll talk NFL playoffs and the championship game. Until then, be well. 